Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode, and um, I am I'm excited to introduce you to a new friend of mine, Miranda Joyner. Miranda, thank you for hanging out with me today, having conversation, and, and sharing a little bit about what you do. Yes, thank you for having me. I do feel like we're friends. I, I swear, I love this. <laughs> well, and, and you were you were kind of pushing me before we hit the record button to to start recording literally from the beginning. Because I've been saying for way too long on this show, I need to hit the record button like from the beginning to get all that pre conversation. Um, we had some really great conversation already, which has gotten me that much more excited about our conversation today. But we're going to actually talk in a little bit about this idea of building a brand on a passion. And we'll break down what passion means and how just very practically um, our listeners can go about doing just that. I have to launch this, though, with one of my favorite brand positions that I've seen on this podcast yet. Uh, and, and by the way, for those of you listening in, Miranda's actually not a photographer, one of the few non-photographers we've had in the show, uh, which is pretty cool, actually. She is a brand strategist and a speaker. But Miranda, will you share that brand position statement that you have on your Instagram profile? Because I think it's one of the best I've heard. <laughs> is it now? Yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, well, goodness, first of all, thank you for that compliment. And then two, I would also like to challenge the fact that I'm not a photographer. I mean, me and my iPhone, I feel like I take the best <laughs> selfies in the entire planet. Okay. So, fair enough. Fair enough. Eh, eh. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want the photographers to come for me. I have way too many photographer friends. I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> essentially what I do is in its simplest form, I basically help entrepreneurs figure out what to say on social media so they can make money. So I help them connect their passion to their purpose and then organize that in a way to where they can connect to their audience and make money. Like, you know, well, okay, so this is where I, this, I'm going to push back in the nicest way possible. The first part of that statement that you just shared is what's on your, your Instagram profile. When, when we start using words like passion and purpose, and one of the reasons we're going to break down the word passion and get your definition of it is because in this day and age, and especially on social media, we hear those words so much. They're thrown yeah. around, and, and I wonder if eyes start to kind of glaze over when people start to read that text because, it's sure. like, again, it's just there are words that are used. What I love about your position statement, and specifically it's on your Instagram profile, I'd love for you to like plaster it really big on the homepage of your website too, because <laughs> it's just so good. I love that yeah. it's just, you're using lang everyday language that anybody can look at these words and immediately understand exactly what it is that you're doing. You're not using these like uppity words. You're not using these fluffy words. It's just, it says exactly what it is that you do. And it's so super clear. I just love that. Well, thank you for that. I'm going to take that and run with it because honestly, my statement, position statement used to have the words passion, purpose. It had purpose in it for sure. And then like um, clearing the clutter. And and for me, honestly, uh, Nathan, thank you for saying that because when I used to read it, I used to feel the same way. Like people are going to be like, what is that? Or they're going to have seven different, you know, directions they'll go with in their mind about yes. what that could mean. Yes. And so that's why I just changed it to look, I just help entrepreneurs figure out what to say on social media so they can make money. That's what you want to do. Pull up, you know, it's, <laughs> so. but it's so, that's why it's so good. And so for those of you listening in, take this to heart because this is a brilliant example of how yeah. to say in a, in a very simple sentence, what exactly it is that you do. And for those photographers and markets that are saturated with other photographers, the only thing you would need to add to that is some element that differentiates the service that you're offering from the other photographers. So the differentiating factor is always important, but uh, you know, to actually have a brand strategist who very simply states what it is that they're about in a way that it can't be lost, it can't be confused, I, I think it's really great. So major props to you. Great example for all of our listeners. Yeah. Let me tell you why it's important, though, too, because I tell people this all the time. You have to imagine 
that the person standing in front of you that you're pitching to or that is thinking about doing business with you is asking themselves the question, what does this have to do with me and why do I care? Mm. And, you know, what, what, how can this help me? Yep. And so the quicker you get to that answer, the more likely they are to want to do business with you. You can give them all the fluff on the back end, but the, the, at the end of the day, when anybody's clicking on your profile, when anybody is visiting your website, when anybody is inquiring about doing business with you, they already know you're a photographer and what you do and that you take pictures and that they're great or whatever you do. They're really wanting to know the real reason they're going to decide the deciding factor for them is about what it is you can do for them most times on a personal or an emotional level. That majority of the investments we make, there, there's some type of emotional and personal investment. And so what is that thing that they desire? And just cut the chase and get to that. Uh, people just like clarity. Well, and people like to feel like the person they're engaging with is relatable. You know, if, if you were mm-hmm. to say, I help entrepreneurs develop a multi-tiered marketing strategy that enables them to, you know, and, and, and went on with some, again, these high and mighty words and phrases that you'll yeah. see on a corporate website somewhere, they're immediately turned off and, and they're bored and they're going somewhere else. Uh, this just oh, yeah. feels very relatable, which I think is huge. So yeah, take that, take that phrase plastered on the homepage above the fold on your website, because it is so, so good and, and just run with it. I, I love that. Done. You're inspiring me. I'm doing it. I'm rolling with it. <laughs> now, talk to me about, and, and I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation so far. You've, speaking of relatability, you, feel, you, you make, I guess you make it easy to have conversation with you. And, and I can imagine this plays into the way that you engage with your clients as a brand strategist. But I, I, is that kind of the standout idea that drives your customer experience? Or is there something else that's super important to you? When it comes to the way that I deal with my clients or just in general for me when I deal with other businesses? Yeah, fair question. I guess more specifically, when, when, you're, when you're setting out to create a really great customer experience, mm-hmm. is there a big idea that drives that effort? What do you think is the most important element of creating a great customer experience? A hundred percent. What I push and try to ingrain in every engagement I have with the people that I interact with is that I want to make people feel heard, feel seen, and feel understood. Hmm. Um, because at, at the basis of every human need, it's those things are going to be in there in the top five, right? So the, the, the top one or two might you know alter, but in, at least in the top five, people want to be heard, they want to be seen, and they want to be understood. And so I really try to make it a point to always uh, engage in a way that lets people know that I hear what they're saying, that I'm understanding what you're saying, and that I'm here to help you in a way that can meet that need. I think so often, kind of like what you were saying before, is that when people start businesses or they're doing things, entrepreneurs, no matter what your uh, business is, a lot of times people start trying to give people what they think you should have. And I think people are really kind of getting weary of being told what they need in a lot of cases. Now, granted, there's a space for that, right? There's a space where in the world where people want to have limited options and they kind of want to have it drilled down to be told you're either going to do this or that. Sure. But in a sense where people are coming to you for a service and trying to get things done um, in most service-based entrepreneurship uh, ventures, People just need to be understood so that you can give them the thing that they need. And instead of me going into these situations, telling people what they need, I take time in my first session with my clients and I sit down and I listen to them and it really throws them off. It catches them off guard because they come with pen and pad in hand, ready to take notes. It's always so funny. They'll pull up to the first session and they're like, okay, Miranda, I'm ready. I got my pen and my pad. And I say, well, in this session, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions and you're going to be doing a lot of talking. And it's not like a talking in the way where I'm assessing their brand needs and trying to figure out your colors and what your business is about. I start asking them personal questions about who they are, where they are, and where they are in the process. And a lot of my clients describe my first session as feeling like therapy. I've even had people to cry on me, right? Wow. But the purpose of it is because I explain to them in the most simplest way, again, I'll go back to what you know you were encouraging me to do earlier, is that even if I give you the blueprint how to run your business and how to establish your brand, and I give you all the tools and the roadmap, if internally there are barriers personally that you have, if there's imposter syndrome, if there's struggles with consistency, if there are self-sabotaging behaviors that you have in the beginning, and we don't kind of touch on those or even acknowledge them so that you can figure out how to manage them as you move along. 
then you're still not going to be able to execute do fully what I'm giving you. And it's going to be a waste of time in some cases. Well, it takes, it takes trust for somebody to, to, I guess, sit down and have the comfort level that you're describing. I mean, the fact that somebody would be comfortable enough to kind of let loose emotionally to cry in front of you. um, You've, you've obviously developed a sense of trust that they can be that vulnerable emotionally. I've, I've been reading uh, in the process of reading a series of books on conversation because I want to continue to, to work at my communication skills and one of the mm-hmm. things that I read in, in a book by Patrick King um, was just a very simple idea that a good conversationalist is, is frankly, just good at making the other person feel comfortable. It's not, yes. it's not about impressing them with information or your just incredible wit. At the end of the day, you want to make them feel good engaging with you. And the question is, how do you do that? And it seems like that's a, that's a really incredible skill set that you have. Did that come naturally for you? Yeah, I want to say it did. And and to speak to what you said, you know, one is about, you know, really quickly I can tell who operates in ego and who operates in compassion, right? Okay. Because I feel like you're either going to fall on one of those two sides when you engage with people. And, you know, I, my whole life, I really have been somebody that people, and I hear this constantly. Uh, I mean, in, as far back as me being a teenager and, you know, dating and, and connecting and even friends that they say, Miranda, I really feel like I can be myself around you. And um, I feel like, you know, I could just show up as who I am and it's okay. (laughs) And I think a part of that, I think, is innate in who I was created to be. I just think that's kind of my makeup and my DNA. Okay. Uh, But what I did was in my 30s, because I'm in my 30s, right? I figured out how to hone in on that and take that part that's always been a part of who I am. And I figured out a way how to monetize it. Right. Mm. I figured out a way to use what I feel like is essentially part of my purpose in my business structure. And that's the thing that I kind of teach people to do is to look into their paths, find their purpose, and then use it in your business. Don't just not pay attention to the things that are uniquely who you are that you can figure out how to implement these things into your business to make it unique. It's not always about having a unique tagline. It's about the culture and the feel of how you show up in your business. So, yeah. Well, you're, you're playing on that really well. And again, just in our, our brief interaction today, I've certainly experienced that. And I think this is a great reminder for everybody listening in. Um, and especially actually for those photographers and Miranda, maybe you've heard this talking to other photographers, but in the photo industry, it's very commonplace for a photographer to say, I'm an introvert or I tend to have you know introverted yes. tendencies. And, and, and probably a lot of people outside of the industry can relate to that, that same thought process. But I wonder if at the end of the day, and it's interesting you bring up this idea of ego, you know, a, a lot of that so-called introversion, I think, is tied to ego. And that's a loaded topic we can get into another time. But <laughs> um, that if, if we're willing to kind of just set ourselves aside and just put our focus and attention on helping the other person feel good about interacting with us, um, I, I bet yeah. that that interaction would immediately, first of all, feel less stressful for the so-called introvert. And at the end of the day, we'd be creating a much better experience for our clients that would translate to, I mean, growth in our business in a really wonderful way. So I I, I appreciate that reminder today, but I want to shift gears. Talk to me sure. about time. Um, time management is something we talk about a lot here on the podcast, very intentionally, because I, as an entrepreneur myself, the, the last thing that I want to do is to be so caught up working 60, 80 hours a week in my business that I don't have a life. You know, I, I'd like being my own boss for the sake of freedom. And so I'm curious, is there something that you've done in your businesses that have enabled you to be able to, to still run those businesses effectively and at the same time still have a life? So no and yes, right? Okay. <laughs> so the, the, no, the no comes first. <laughs> Fair. Because when I started this in the beginning, my time management was garbage, right? I went from being in a structured position of going to work for somebody for set hours And then when I would leave, I could get other things done. And so I was better at managing it because I had somebody that made sure that you're going to have to have your behind here from this time to this time, you know. And and so you prioritize everything around your work schedule when you're working for someone else. But then I stepped into this world of managing my own time and it felt like freedom, right? It felt like freedom. So um, I really was having really whack work hours. And so I would wake up in the day and would get start get stuff done. And then 
some people, other entrepreneurs or other friends would, you know, say, hey, let's go do lunch. And then a one hour lunch would turn into a two hour lunch. And then I might have a drink at the bar. And then, you know, by the time I was looking around, my day would settle and I have to do stuff with my kid. And then I found myself kind of burning the the night oil, trying to get things done. Mm. And so I really had to have a come to Jesus moment with myself and say, okay, let me recalibrate how I'm showing up because this isn't working for me. So what I started doing was what I used to do was I would, as soon as, you know, my eyes would open and the day would get started, I would jump out the bed and get to going. And what I started doing was I started taking time in the morning to not move and to set the intentions for my day. And so what I did was I did, I started to, to not grab my phone and not feel guilty about lying in bed and just sitting still for a moment. And so I tried to cap my, I started by capping my days with that, right? Not moving, sitting still, um, doing intentional thinking, you know, kind of having a visual party, so to say, <laughs> in my bed about what I wanted my business to look like, what type of person I wanted to be, how I wanted to show up in this world. I just did some really intense um, intentional thinking about that. And then I would meditate and then I would start my day. Right. So that thing would set the tone for me. And then I would get up and be more productive because of that. So I started putting a routine in place to manage my time. And then the routine helped me immensely. Right. So I would get up and as I was getting ready, I'm either going to be listening to podcasts. I'm going to be listening to an audio book as I'm preparing and getting ready for my day, looking at my schedule, seeing what I had to get done. And then um, in the evening times, I would make sure that I had cutoff time for my son. So uh, at one point, we kind of latched on to binge watching Grey's Anatomy through the week in the evening. Okay. And so I just made sure that I made time for us to do those things. And so I thought that that was really important for me to do that. So I really started setting those time spaces for me to do that in, in, in those moments. I started allowing myself to take breaks without guilt. And I do want to say this. I think this is kind of like the secret sauce to it all. Okay. Is that you have to be very honest with yourself about when your best work hours are for you in the day. Mm. So if you're not a morning person, then don't try to be a morning person because of the pressures of this world, right? Because you're hearing all these gurus and motivational speakers say everything happens in the morning. If you're not getting up before 5 a.m., yada, yada, yada. I almost cursed on your podcast. Nathan. That's be it. Like, no, like, no, no judgment not, here. Feel free. <laughs> it, it, like it's BS. If you're not a morning person, you can't force yourself to be something you're not right. So if you work better and you're more productive in the middle of the day, then arrange your life to work around that, that time of the day, yeah. right? Schedule. Don't schedule clients around that day. If you're more productive, then don't schedule clients from 11 to three. If that's when you work the best and you're the most productive, sure. right? Um, if you're most productive at night, then schedule your life around that. And so I think that's important to help you with time management. And, and that goes back, I mean, you're talking about being intentional and and deciding how to block, to time block your day, basically. But it, it just, it all ties back to this notion of being your own boss. And, and you know, even, hey, I want to work during the middle of the day. I want to work late at night because that's when I'm able to be most productive. It, it really doesn't matter at the end. We we have the the freedom to make that choice. Certainly within the yes. confines of or, or you know construct, if you will, of of our lives and relationships. Um, when, when when there are other people involved, we have to obviously flex and flow with that. But it, that is the cool thing about being our own boss is we get to make those choices for ourselves rather than just simply reacting to things and and being kind of just taken along almost like we're we're stuck in this the flow of a river and we can't control it we we can <laughs> actually stand up take control and decide what direction we want to go and we need to take ownership on that and I, I know that at times it can be a little bit nerve-wracking to take that ownership and and actually take the responsibility for that control but um, that is the really cool thing about entrepreneurship is that we can be our own boss. So I, I think that's a really great yes. reminder. Yeah, I think we're wired to to have to seek permission. I mean, when you think even from birth, right, to seek permission to True. do things. Yeah. And I think entrepreneurs struggle with that, like having permission to do what the hell you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and for some reason, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, even though they're their own boss, they're still looking for external permission to create the spaces they want to create. Right. And I think that's kind of the root of it. 
Well, and I mean, I know for me personally, the reasoning for that was because of the way I was brought up. I was I was in a very structured, very disciplined environment where my dad kind of had say in everything. And there was a lot yeah. of benefit from that. But I also walked away from my childhood, not really knowing what it meant to make a choice for myself. And then couple Ooh. that with, I also grew up in a super religious background. So there was religion on top of that. And, and not only was my dad saying, like, basically outlining everything I had to do, but God was too. And so this idea that I would actually make choices for myself was a foreign concept, <laughs> yeah. right? Not only yeah. make choices for myself, but then actually be confident in those choices. So mm-hmm. here I am 41 and just, just finally starting to get to a place where I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat comfortable with that idea. I like myself enough and I'm confident enough in myself to make those decisions and not feel like I have to constantly second guess them. And it's, it's a relief, but I can, I can empathize with those of you out there who are still struggling with that. Take take even little steps, own those choices, and and let that kind of become a snowball that builds up and turns into something really great. Because you do have the freedom, you can make those choices. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. You were make, you, yeah. you you actually said something earlier about uh, listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, and I'm I'm curious if, if there's been a particularly <laughs> impactful book or uh, podcast for that matter in the last few years that you would recommend to our listeners. One hundred percent. Where do I start? Do um, tell. I, I know when you uh, we talked about this before, and it was personal or professional books. I can give you all of the the books, but when I think about the entrepreneurial journey and in running a business, I think one of the most impactful books that I've read uh, recently is called The E Myth. Yes. Um, yes, The E Myth by Michael uh, uh, Gerber. Is it Gerber. It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that book, hands down, probably helped to shift a thought process. And for those of you that might not be familiar with it, it's basically essentially talking about why most businesses fail in the first couple of years of business. And it was really enlightening and eye-opening for me. Another book that I could go on, but I'm only going to give you three that I can think of that I think (laughs) are probably up high for me. Okay. Uh, Because in the last like year or two, I've read probably about 16 plus I don't know. I just, I consume a lot of audio books. And so, um, but definitely the secret of teens. Okay. This was actually, it's by Mark Miller. Um, and it's the book that I actually read in my twenties when I wasn't near anywhere close to being an entrepreneur. And it was so impactful that I went and did a reread of it after I jumped into this journey, because building teams seems to be a very challenging thing for a lot of us. Mm. It's, it's, it's not always easy to understand what it takes to have a high performance team. And so it's a really good book and it tells it in a story format, which I think is so brilliant because it really makes it stick. The stickability because of the way the story is told is phenomenal. So it talks about the three essential things you need to have a high performance team. Uh, So that's that. And then the third one, I would say I have to, and I know this is a book that people probably talk about all the time, but it is start with why by Simon Sinek. Yes. Like, For me, it holds a dear place because it was one of the books that I read right before I decided to quit my job and do this full time. It was one of the books that inspired me to jump out the window. And so I have to forever honor that. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you and why do you think that was? Was it what was it specifically about that book or the concepts in that book that enabled you to finally make that move? Yeah. So I'm not sure if this will be applicable to anybody else, but I'll share it anyway, because I do feel like it was. It was for me. That's how I feel about it. Sure. But for me, I was 37 years old when I took the leap to work for myself. And this was two years ago. Right. And at that point, at 37 years old, I was so good at helping other people identify purpose in their lives that I was still sitting in a space to where I kind of felt like I kind of knew what my purpose was, but I wasn't 100 percent sure. And because what, what, what seemed to be my purpose didn't feel like purpose to me. And this book helped me to realize that when he started talking about identifying the why and being connected to the reason, the root reason and why something, anybody, you as a business owner, we exist. The thing that I have been slightly obsessed with because I'm such a people watcher, I'm always trying to understand people's behaviors and why they do the things they do. And when people are usually upset about somebody for doing something really harsh or harmful in media, you know, like and everybody's like, crucify them, throw them under the jail. Yeah. I'm low-key sitting there quietly going, but how did they get there? Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, what happened? Yes. What 
what was the thing, the moment in their life that shifted and they went down this path? Yeah. And that's always been my nature. And when I read that book, it just, it, it was almost like the pages were screaming to me, Miranda, this is what you were put on this earth to do for people. Help them to identify that because you see it always so clearly, like you're always able to get to it, which is, I think, why when I launched my business, I, when I got motivated to do it, I shifted into launching my business. I initially was not even talking about purpose, Nathan. Like I was talking about just connecting people to their brand voice and helping them with that. But when I started doing sessions with people unintentionally in the first session, they started feeling like therapy. I didn't go in with that intention. <laughs> I just, I went in and, and somebody, and people were talking and I was like, oh, and for me, what seemed like a duh, I was like, well, you, this is what you were doing as a kid. Look at this. This is why you love this thing you do now. Sure. And over and over again, people kept going, Miranda, I have never thought about that. Mm. And I would be sitting there going, really? <laughs> <laughs> And I would always say it's so clear for me, but people kept getting wild sitting in front of me, sometimes to the point of tears. And it was in those few moments in those first couple of sessions in the beginning that I realized, oh, I have something here. So let me curve my, you know, brand to cater to this because I feel like this is my purpose. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I we're going to link to that book in the show notes. Start with why for anybody who's not. Um, either read that book or even seen, uh, I think he's got a TED Talk around he that does. same topic. Um, we'll link to all of that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And then also Secret of Teams. That sounds like a really interesting book. I like that you describe it's told in kind of a story format. Um, I I, th- I think it would, I think authors these days would do well to kind of switch up the format, especially when it comes to business and, and even self-help books as well. Uh, stop just kind of rambling on and listing a few facts here and there, but but actually tell it in the form of a story that makes it a lot easier to consume. I think that's great. So Secret of Teams, Mark Miller, and then the E-Myth. E-Myth uh, Revisited is one I've mentioned a number of times on the podcast before. It really is super powerful, deals mm-hmm. with sus- creating a sustainable business, a scalable business, super important as well. So yeah, we'll put all those in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And then let's go ahead and jump into our topic for today, because I know, again, the way that you and I are just kind of natural conversationalists, Miranda, <laughs> we could have like a three-hour podcast here. Um, I, yes. I, wa- I want to get into this topic of passion, and, and I'm glad that we were referencing kind of the cliche nature of the word earlier, because it yeah. is used quite a bit these days, especially as it relates to our entrepreneurial efforts, right? We, we start a business because, in many cases, because we say we're passionate about this particular thing. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, to be clear. Uh, but especially in the context of the work that you do with your clients as a brand strategist, how do you define this word passion? What does that mean to you? Yes. Yeah, so that's a great question. So for passion, to me, the passion is, it, it's important because for me, it's the fuel. Like, right? So just because it's important doesn't mean it's the whole thing and it's, it's all you need, right? Sure. But it's the thing that kind of fuels people. And the reality about passion is that at times it can burn out and be low, like fuel. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and so that's why we can't really rely on passion to sustain a business. But the passion about something is what fuels the ideas. It's what, it's what motivates you and drives you and sometimes keeps you going when things are hard. Connecting purpose to the things that you do, it, 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 it makes you take a sense of ownership for those things. And so when you take a sense of ownership about something, then it becomes a part of you. And so it's easier to me when I'm passionate about something or when passion exists in me that I can reignite or, you know, fuel up on or be around other people that will, you know, strengthen my passion back up about something. It's the thing that helps me to keep moving, to not quit, to keep going when business does get hard or when it gets challenging. So I just think passion is in its essence is the thing that fuels your desire to stay connected to what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's Tony Robbins talks, talks about the, the idea of um, something that you believe in being such a strong belief um, or, and and I think he relates it maybe even to choice as well, but this, this thought being so important, this idea being so important that it results in an emotional response which then translates to action. And 
I, so mm-hmm. when we talk about this idea of passion and the way that you're describing it fueling what we do, I, I think that's super relevant. And you're right, it can, especially if that thing that we're passionate about is a little bit selfish in nature, that <laughs> that fuel can burn out, right? If, if, it's, if yes. it centers around an idea that's bigger than us, I think it helps make that so-called passion and ultimately the business model much more sustainable. Um, but if we are to create a business that is going to not only move us, but move other people, if it's rooted in a passion associated uh, with the, the, the root of us, the center of us, um, and mm-hmm. as the way that you relate it to us is, is tying it to our past, then there is, there is an explosiveness there that can really make a, make a big, big difference in the impact that that business can have in our lives and the lives of others. And and you do that work with your clients, tying this purpose and passion uh, to their past. I'm I'm curious if you can kind of walk us through how that works. Why does what does that process look like? And, and maybe even just more specifically, what does our past have to do with these passions that we develop? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I'll answer the the, the latter question first, and sure. then uh, I'll pull into what I actually do and give an actual real life example of one of my clients that I use quite often. But I think what it has to do with your passion or your purpose having to do with what you do, is that correct? Am I understanding the question right? Yeah. How, how does how does the past, I guess, determine our passion? What is it about our past that writes that that DNA for the passion that we then feel? Yeah. So what it is essentially is what I've discovered is that everything about who we were created to be is intentional. I think the fact that some people are introverts are soft-spoken is on purpose. The fact that uh, you and I are conversationalists and that we like to talk in spaces that it's purposeful, that it all aids to who we are. I think everything about it Uh, who we are is intentional and that we just have to figure out how to manage those things as we move through life. Right. And especially in the space of business and what I feel like purpose has to do with your passion is because we were wired and created to do a specific thing. Why would we start any type of business and not use the things that are naturally within us? I think we've been kind of conditioned to show up in this world and conform to things we see on an exterior level Mm. that we don't spend enough time trusting internally what we have in us that's already there. Hmm. But everything we need to show up in our businesses the way we we should, to make it unique, to make it smart, we already have on the inside of us. And me as a brand strategist, my job is actually kind of easy. It's for me to get to you to dig out the questions and ask, because everything that I tell my clients, it derives straight from things they've said out of their mouth. Most of the times I find myself repeating back to them and just, I rearrange it and just make it make sense. But I mostly repeat back to them what they tell me. I remember being wild one day sitting on the couch thinking, wow, myself and saying, man, people are paying me just to regurgitate what I'm pulling out. Of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with it. I'm here for this job. Like, <laughs> But they just need somebody to kind of, to, to, I guess, an objective perspective, somebody from the outside, just to kind of throw that back at them and say, hey, you just said it. That, that, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and I even had to do it for me because the reality, I mean, I'm joking about it here, but the reality is, is that it's hard to do when it's you. It's hard to do when you're in it. Yeah. So I don't want to make light of the fact that people are walking around, you know, and I'm not saying you're clueless, but it's a really hard thing to do when you're living every day, day to day. And so much is happening to really see the thing in you that is special and unique. And so I, I have the honor of being able to sit down and hear so many wonderful stories and then help them to make that connection to what they do. But your your past and your purpose Sometimes people don't want to go there because sometimes the past can be, you know, hurtful for some people. It can bring up, you know, not so fond memories. But if we can push past that in moments and find the good in it, I think if we can sift through the mess and through the trash sometimes, and even in in the mess, sometimes still find things that we can use in the now and say that, these things I can use to fuel what I'm doing. These things I can use to incorporate into that. So I'll give you an example to kind of bring it home. I have a client that she's a brokerage. She's opening a brokerage. And um, she used to be, she was a former educator that went into real estate. 
And her story was that when she was younger, and this is, you know, this was brought up in the questioning that I do with them. Sure. But her story was that when she was younger, she lived with her parents in a house and her father went away to Atlanta to make a way for them. And they were, the plan was to move from Mississippi to Atlanta. And apparently something went wrong in Atlanta. He ended up coming back and didn't get the job. And when he came back, they ended up moving out of their house and moving into an apartment. And she remembers that her life shifted in that moment when things changed in that moment. And she remembers lying in the bed with her sister and looking over and saying, I think we're poor. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she said they both laughed about it. Yeah. And, you know, and so in that moment, we were able to discover because what we were looking for was really trying to understand the essence of what her angle was about mm. why she cared about putting people in homes. Mm. And for her in particular, it was that she felt like that their living situation changed and their family situation changed. So we derived from that story that she felt like being in a home was the foundation for a good family, no matter what your family looked like. Sure. And so that became her messaging. So we were able to incorporate that into the the culture of her brand and business. Oh, I love that it. That at the end of the day, I'm going to put you in a home, whether your family looks like a single parent with a kid, whether you're a same-sex marriage, whether it's, you know, you have a full uh, mom and dad and your grandmother's living with you, whatever your family looks like, the foundation of a good strengthened family is going to start with a home. And so let me put you in a home so that whatever your family looks like, it can have the right foundation, right? I love that. I mean, when I think about real estate brokers, I I don't think of this like warm emotional message that that makes me want to connect mm. with that agent. It's just like oh, I'm going to buy a house and I got to go through this person to buy that house. Um, I, mm-hmm. I love this. I think it's a beautiful message. Mm-hmm. And and see, and this is what makes you stand out because at the end of the day. I can scroll through, I can Google real estate agents and I can just blindly pick. How do I know? Right. But when I see someone that says that, if it speaks to my heart, if that speaks to me, then I'm going to pick you. It, it, it gives you the advantage and the edge, yep. but more importantly, it connects you to the same type of people, the same like-minded people that are speaking that same language. And it's even going to pull people that don't speak that language or that don't know, you know, because of the compassion component. I, man, that's super powerful. I really love that. But I, I'm curious, and you alluded to this earlier, and, and I think it was a, a good distinction to make. You, you said passion isn't everything, right? So, I mean, I could mm-hmm. be passionate about, I mean, I don't know, I could name something crazy here, but I could be passionate about an, an, any number of things. Um, but if there's not market demand for it, I can't create a viable business from that so-called passion. I'm curious from your perspective, what is the primary difference between just a passion and an actual viable business? Correct. That is a very good question. And I agree 100%. Um, Again, we talked about how passion kind of can fizz out. And to be passionate about something really doesn't mean that it's something that you can monetize, right? So I can be passionate about ducks. That means absolutely jack diddly squat (laughs) if I cannot figure out. I would also want to know why you're passionate about ducks, too, (laughs) because that was totally random. I love it. (laughs) Which is why I often, you know, which is where Miranda comes in. I'm very random. So, yeah, so that's fitting. Um, But, yeah, I could be passionate about anything. um, But if I cannot monetize it or make it into a business, you know, you know, business is about growth and prosperity. And if you can't profit or scale it, then it doesn't, it's not a business. So I think three things that I could say, you know, for you to be able to understand that the connection between passion and business is that if it's something that people come to you for on a regular basis and you're passionate about it, if people are drawn to you and seeking you out, whether it's for advice or whether it's for to, you know, get this bit of information from you or whether it's something you're doing with your hands and people are like, hey, you know, can you do that for me? I think that's one sign that is something that can shift from passion to business. Okay. Also, if you feel like it's something that you would do for free, right? Um, and the reason I put that in there and I say that as a reason is because if it's something that you feel like you would do it for free, then to me, it helps. It's, again, it goes back to that fuel part, right? Right. That you're loving this so much that you would get to a space that when it gets hard, you'll still do it. Mm. When the money's not coming in, you'll still do it because it's something you're so connected to. 
Um, and because there are going to be times in the business where it's going to get hard. Right. And if it's not something you're connected to in a passionate way, you're more than likely going to quit on it and go in another direction. Yep. Yep. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that. Like, oh, this didn't work and I want to do something else. It's like, yo, did you give it time? Right. <laughs> and then the last part, I think if it solves a problem or meets a need for people, then that's something that you're passionate about that can be shifted into a business. If you find that it, again, it meets the need for people, that it solves a problem, what specific problem can this thing solve for people? And if you can find the emotional problem that it solves, you're even, you're, you're, you're even closer yep. to being more invested and in, in being more successful. Yeah. And that brand message you were talking about with your broker client is, is a prime example of that. Yes. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I and I can't help but reference and think about the emit um, revisited. You know about how he talks about the technician. I mean, the whole premise in the beginning of the book is about the lady who's baking the cakes, and she's so passionate about it, and they tell her to go in business, and she does, and she's burnt out because she doesn't have everything she needed to make it a business. Right. And that happens so many times with entrepreneurs that we are passionate about something and we try to turn it into a business without creating the things around it that make it a business. It's right. not just enough to be passionate about something. Yeah. You still got to have those systems in place to make it work. 100%. Yeah. Well, okay. So let, let's just say then that a listener, especially if they're either new to business or, or just getting started, want to start a business, uh, they can answer kind of affirmative, right? They can say, yeah, these three things that, that Miranda just talked about, people do come to me for this thing. They say I'm talented in it. Um, it's something I would I would just naturally do for free because I am so passionate about it. And I know that it meets a need, that there is market demand for this thing. What are the first couple of steps that that person should then take to actually establish a, a viable business? And, and more specifically, I guess, to establish a target market that we're going to pursue. Yeah, I would say to just start doing the work, right? Okay. In the beginning, okay. because... What I feel like happens is people are like, okay, I want to start a business. What should I do? And people start talking about LLCs and, you know, should you do, you know, and like they start talking about all the business side. Yeah. But I think it's a smart practice to test the market before you try to make it a business, especially if you're unsure about it. So to just start creating the space for people to come and then once the momentum picks up, then you turn it into a business, right? Okay. Because, and, and, and I know this might sound like, oh my gosh, that's maybe not the best advice because what if da, 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 but that's what most people are doing. It's you trying and testing out the market because right. what most people do is they start, they start trying to get logos and websites and then they get halfway through this process or maybe in it and they realize that it's not something that people are moving towards mm. or maybe it's not something that is a profitable business if you're not seeing it done. So, my suggestion in the beginning of trying to connect to the, the target audience is to one, start doing the work on some level okay, to see what type of people you are attracting, to see the type of people that are coming. And more specifically to think about the target market is to think about who could benefit from this in the most intimate way, to think about this person in the most intimate way. My ideal target person, I discovered who she was as I started doing the business. And she's a 33-year-old, you know, <laughs> chick that is a nurse that has a side hustle that she wants to turn into a business, but she doesn't know how. She doesn't have any kids. She likes to social drink with her friends, right? She's dating and is not married. And this is ideally kind of the person that I attract. But I see all types of people. It doesn't put you in a box, but it's so important to understand who this person is so that I can connect and speak to them in a way so that I can create my business around this person. This is the importance of it. If I'm not creating a business around the person I serve and I'm creating a business around myself, then I'm going to be doing business with myself. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good, though. And, and I'm so glad that you bring this up. It's something I'm, to, to use the word, passionate about because yeah. I, I think it's easy, and certainly I've been guilty of it as well. That, again, we talked about this idea of ego earlier, to get caught up in our ego, the things that we feel are important, um, whether it's specific to the technical side of photography or, you know, the, the style of editing that we're doing or the type yeah. of camera equipment, that, like all this stuff that ultimately doesn't really actually matter to the end client. We're so caught up in what's important to us and we, and the, the client gets lost in that, that conversation <laughs> yes. that we're having. 
And yes. so I'm so glad that you're emphasizing the importance of understanding who it is that we're serving and focusing on that. Because at the end of the day, you know, this this word service, and I mentioned earlier that I grew up in, in a very religious environment, and, and the word service mm-hmm. was used a lot in that particular context. Yeah. And I think in some ways, as a result of some of the negative connotations with religion, that that, that word service is maybe underused. Because I think it's a beautiful word used in mm-hmm. the right context. This idea that we're focused on adding value to and showing kindness to and ultimately, to your point earlier, Miranda, meeting the needs of this individual or this group of people, our so-called target market. How can we best serve them? How can we put a smile on their face? And that gets lost a lot of times in our obsession with ourselves. So I'm so glad that you highlight that. Yes, 100%. Yes, it does get lost. And and a lot of times when people I run into who run businesses, I don't have to talk to them, but for a minute or two. And I can instantly tell people who are in business for themselves and who are in business for people. Mm. You you can, you can pick it up really quickly and the way they talk about their business, you know, um, and the people who truly understand that their business is about serving Mm. and, you know, it's, it's about the people you serve. It's about how you can show up for them. And what you have to understand is that you get rewarded on the back end. And I mean, sometimes on the front end too, but absolutely, when you, when you really make your business about the people you serve, you remove yourself from the equation because then it's not about what I think they should have. It's about listening. It's like being in a relationship. Yeah. And, and sometimes I even want to think to myself, I, I indirectly judge people about how they run their business. I judge how I think they would be in a relationship. I feel like it would be similar because how yeah. you do one thing is how you do everything. Are you just going to walk around here telling me what I need all day? Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> or are though. you actually listening and yeah. tapping into that? So sometimes when I see how people relate to other people on a one-on-one basis, it'll tell me how you do business and vice versa, you know, not just looking at your business structure, but I can just look at how you engage with people in general hmm. and think, oh, okay, that's probably how you run your business. No, probably to it. hundred percent. It, it has to be a parallel. I uh, know. I think, I think that's actually a very accurate assessment and a pretty fascinating one. And now everybody listening in, when you, they go to the next photography conference, they're going to be walking around <laughs> analyzing <laughs> who this person is, what this person that they're talking to is like at home in their relationships. Yeah. That's, that's, I think it's a very, I think that's such an accurate yeah. assessment though. It's, it's my favorite thing to do is to people watch, listen to me. I cannot explain it. I've been doing it my whole life. It's yeah. my favorite thing to do. And I'll tell you just a tip for when you go to conferences, this is what you look at. Like even with, you know, we were talking about the Clubhouse app earlier. Even yes. in there, I go into these rooms and I just observe how people are talking on these little quote unquote stages that they call them in the clubhouse. But you can do this at a conference, go into these spaces and in the small groups, or even when people huddle together, look at how people engage with conversation with each other. Who's cutting other people off? Who's the person that feels like they have to talk and regurgitate Mm. and say stuff all the time? Who's the person that's being super showy? Who's the person that's sitting back and observing everybody and looking and then stepping in when it's appropriate and pulling out when it's not? People's everyday behaviors will tell you about how they function in their day-to-day business. Yeah. Yes. I, I think you really are secretly just a psychologist at the end of the day. I think that's... I I've think, heard that. <laughs> I think that's your strength. Okay. So when, when it comes into establishing the so-called target market, start. I love, I love the recommendation, the advice of just start doing the work um, and, and experiment and play a little bit. That will enable you to begin to establish that target market, but then also ask this specific question, which is who can benefit from this business, this mm-hmm. service in the most intimate way. Once once our listeners who are beginning to establish their target market are have developed a bit of clarity in that regard, what are a few specific ways that they can get to know their target client better so that they can serve them more effectively? Also, I think it's uh, it just to kind of jump back to what you said in the very beginning about starting and just starting. Is it also to alleviate the pressure? Uh, <laughs> it it yeah. takes it, it alleviates a little bit of the pressure of trying to be like, oh, my business has to take off. Like, just start and yes. you know, okay. So, um, ways that they can get to know their target market better. So, I have so many things that that flow through my brain, but I want to tell you. Some really helpful things that you can do is one, you can find similar businesses to yours and then just go study their audience. 
right? So find somebody that is doing something because nothing is really super new out here in this world or there's something that's very close to what you're doing. Right. So find their audience and then study their audience. Go to their social medias. Look at what people are commenting under there. Look at what people are saying or asking. Um, Go to their reviews and look at their reviews. What are people saying that they were so moved by, right? So now it's helping you to get to know them better. You really want to approach this target person as if you're dating them. Hmm. So get to know them. The next thing I would do is I would look um, and, you know, I would look up books that are centered around the things that you do and then go read the reviews on the books and the things and the complaints, right? The reviews and the complaints, because the complaints will help you understand how maybe you can either do something better or meet a need. Like people are saying they don't have A, B, and C. You can say, oh, well, let me provide that. With what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think giving people the opportunity to comply, I have a whole story about what I use complaints to do for myself. Uh, (laughs) And it it, it was phenomenal. And so I'll tell it really briefly. I was in the beginning of my entrepreneurial career, I started doing workshops. And the first workshop, I got, you know, a good bit of people to sign up. And so I was super excited. My graphic designer, he made my second flyer for it. It was such a dope flyer. I was so excited. I was like, it's gonna be it's gonna hit they're gonna go <laughs> and i put it on my social media and nobody signed up and i was like oh that's interesting and so instead of feeling like a failure i pulled back and thought okay how can i fix this how can i remedy this remedy this and i went to social media and i said let me narrow down my topic let me not make it so general so let me just do social media so i just questioned my social media and said hey what do you guys struggle with when it comes to showing up on social media as an entrepreneur? And just as a regular person, what do you struggle with? Well, of course, people just started complaining endlessly under my, you know, I mean, they were like, well, this is what I don't like to do. And da, 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 da. Sure. Um, this, the same with networking. The networking probably had more complaints under than anything I've ever asked people to vent about. But hmm. I digress. And under the social media, they complained. And what I did was I took what they said they were complaining about. And I said, okay, my next workshop is going to be about this. You you struggle with when to show up. I'm going to talk about ways to schedule and and manage your time with that. You struggle posting as an introvert. Okay, we're going to address in this next workshop how to come up with content as an introvert, right? Yeah, yeah. And, And I just took those things, put them in my next workshop, and people signed up, right? I love it. Okay, so that brings me to my third thing, which is talk to your audience. I don't know what it is about us that we're scared to just ask a question. Yes, yes. Hey, you, people that are following me, buying my product. Yeah. What do you like? What do you not like? I think the problem comes in is where people will ask a question and maybe not form it the right way. Or maybe it's a question that people aren't really responding to and people feel defeated and deflated. Just keep asking questions. Figure out how to ask the right type of questions. Look at the questions that people are responding to and ask more questions in that manner and in that way. And don't be so quick to quit when things don't work. Just keep trying at it until something sticks and pay attention to the behaviors when it sticks. Do more of that. So engage with your audience. Ask them questions. and, And honestly, cater to the nature and the horrible reality is that we like to complain and we're quicker to complain than we are to sure to you know talk about good stuff. Yeah. And then just give people opportunities to vent and then learn your audience in that way. This is so yeah, good. Those are my three things. That's so good. Find similar businesses, study their audience, read complaints. I mean, you mentioned, you know, specifically reviews to books, but I mean there's so many different realms. You also alluded to social media. I mean, look at social media, you can yes. look at Yelp. I mean, there's so many different places you can look at complaints related to the industry that you're in and then do the very thing that Miranda just talked about, which is to then capitalize on those poor experiences or people having elsewhere and and offer a service that solves that problem or meets that need. I, I mean, it's so simple and intuitive and yet I, and it's staring us right there in the face. And many times we just totally overlook it. So it's such a great reminder. And then, and then further enabling this very thing, which is to understand what people's needs are, talk, ask questions. Yes. And we have to set our ego aside. And, and I say this for myself too, in, in order to ask those questions and get the so-called complaints or the negative feedback, the constructive criticism. Um, we have to set our ego aside in order to keep an open mind and be willing to actually hear what they're saying in order to make the changes necessary or offer the services necessary to meet those needs. On the other side of that, though, is an incredible opportunity to build a really powerful business. Yes, absolutely. 
everything goes back to setting your ego aside and being able to shift and pivot in your business, being able to be flexible enough to shift and say, oh, I thought they needed this, but it turns out they needed this. So let me curve to that. Yeah. It's so important to success. Yeah. It's so important. Like you cannot grow in a market without that, you know, that one of those fluffy words or the overused words is pivoting. You just have to shift into the space that is the most profitable and the most fruitful for your business. So, yeah. Well, and I think part of what enables that too, Miranda, and I'd be curious just as we close here to get your take on this, um, you know, a lot of times business owners, I think, will get stuck on a very specific business model or, you know, if we call it photographers specifically, a particular editing style or something super specific that in all actuality is irrelevant to the bigger picture goals that these individuals probably have. Something that we emphasize a lot here in the podcast is to establish what, what I reference as a big picture view. And that big picture view is kind of the overarching set of goals that we're trying to accomplish as individuals, business aside. And then, of course, that should naturally trickle down to our businesses. And they should be driven by bigger ideas than a particular business model or a particular angle on a service, which will then give us that freedom, that flexibility to do the very thing you're talking about, which is to pivot. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. I often challenge my people to dream big to think of that. And you'd be amazed how many people don't go to the big picture and the big feeling, right? Mm. So I think it's so important one for that. I just want to say that and commend you. Yes, a hundred percent dream big and then create the structure around it. And, you know, in, in that sense, but I'll tell you this about really identifying the thing that you make people feel because what'll help you to get out of being so stuck in a business structure and a particular model, maybe is this thing that I discover when we get back to thinking about purpose. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to use the ever, uh, loving and, and, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A as an example, right? Okay. <laughs> people are just lightly obsessed on all levels. And in some, either you love it or you hate it. Chick-fil-A is like one of those things, you know, it's, it is the craziest thing. That. There's a Chick-fil-A right near my, the, the apartment complex that I live in. And I, despite COVID during COVID, the line <laughs> For that, for yes. lunch, like when I, it's right near a Walmart and I go grocery shopping at Walmart. I would literally have to, to go a different direction to get into Walmart wow. to avoid this line that's coming out of Chick-fil-A. We're like, where, where are all the economic problems? People are waiting in line for an hour to get a, a chicken sandwich. It's, it's, chicken. it's mind blowing, <laughs> you know? Anyway, yes, please go ahead with Chick-fil-A. Let's talk about it to drill it back to this point, because I'm going to get back to this very point you're making about creating this business and really having that overarching dream. And it doesn't matter what your business looks like. So getting back to understanding why purpose is so important is because when you start your business with purpose, with what you're wanting to make people feel on this earth and build a business around that, Nathan, you can pick any avenue you can pick anything to mm, do yeah. to bring that right right like it does so you can you can change it up right so i use chick-fil-a as an example because we are i'm going to date your podcast i'm sorry here but it, we are in 2020 yeah. <laughs> so in 2020 chick-fil-a's mission statement do you know what their mission statement is Nathan? no i don't oh great so good so their mission statement i'm paraphrasing here but i'm going to hit all the important parts their mission statement is to glorify god by having a positive experience with every person that encounters chick-fil-a okay there's no more to it there's nothing about chicken nothing about food nothing about a restaurant nothing about customer service there's nothing about any of that the owner sat down and said this is how i imagine it in my head hey we just want to have a positive influence and love on people Uh, let's open up a chicken restaurant and sell these mediocre chicken, you know, nuggets for not, no, they're not mediocre. They're pretty decent. <laughs> and for not, but for $9, $10, let's charge this and be overly kind to people. Yep. It's the very reason I can pull up to Chick-fil-A and they ask me what I want. And I say, I want seven sauces and she doesn't blink. And she says, my pleasure. Yep. What kind of sauces would you like? Yep. 
And I don't have to explain to her that my son likes to mix his sriracha and his Polynesian and that I like to dip my French fries in barbecue sauce. And so this is why I don't want ketchup. And then I also want sauce for my nuggets. I don't have to break this down every time I go through the Chick-fil-A line. I just can ask for the sriracha Polynesian mix. I can get my barbecue sauce and my fries. And I can also get my dipping sauce for my nuggets, which is different from the barbecue sauce. Right. So, (laughs) and, and I even had a friend one time tell me they saw somebody jump out of the Chick-fil-A window to chase somebody down because they had forgot something in the window. I said, mm. you're kidding me. They were like, no, no, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, it's funny. As you were talking, I, I pulled up their their website and, and sure enough, their purpose, and it's outlined very clearly on their site, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on in all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And, and that really is such it. a beautiful example of, of how you can have a a mission, and, and just to be clear for everybody yes. listening in, a mission statement and a brand position aren't necessarily the same thing. The mission no. statement represents this bigger idea that you're striving for that hopefully is bigger than you. And mm-hmm. that mission statement that Chick-fil-A has enables them to do the very thing you were talking about, Miranda, which is to, to flex and to flow and to pivot because that big idea can be served in so many different ways. So many different ways. So many different ways from the fact that their employees I heard get in trouble for not saying my pleasure. They're not allowed to say anything else. Mm. Like, I mean, it's like my pleasure is the brand is yeah. the, it's the thing that we're going to say that's going to, you know, make us stand out yeah. against other people. It's this experience. And most of the time when I ask people what they love so much about Chick-fil-A, I mean, they talk about the chicken, sure. but most people say it's the feeling, it's the experience, it's how they make me feel, it's how nice they are. Mm. Most people can't talk about eating there without talking about how wonderful they are and how kind they are. And like Jesus lives in, in the, you know, it's like, sure, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so, I mean, comedians even joke about it. He is, it, the whole premise on what they build their business on is about the servant hmm. side of it. It's about how they make people feel. Yes. They took this one simple thing and they're breathing it into a restaurant. Um, and that's what makes, and, and I would imagine that they make every decision based on that. Right, right. Right. All of their decisions, like, should we do this or that? If Well, does it? make people feel important does it does it have give the positive influence yep. you know is what is what is the thing that is going to how do we make this decision how do we handle the situation yep. well which way is going to give this person a positive experience so my example my experience with Chick-fil-A I remember one time I drove to the drive through and I used to get breakfast there quite often when I worked across the street from there and one day I had left my wallet at my job and I got to the window and told her, I'm so sorry. I left my wallet. I'm going to have to come back. And she told me, no, she instantly handed me the food and said, just when you come back through, just pay us then. Wow. I know without a doubt that that wasn't specific to her as a person. Sure. <laughs> that anybody that pulls up on Chick-fil-A and you know, I'm probably, I hope people don't go out and try this, but <laughs> that you pull up to the window. There's going to be a whole line now. <laughs> right. Everybody yeah. forgot their wallet. <laughs> So anyway, yes. So to to support what you said earlier, to get back to that, is that creating your business and how you pivot and and move in in your business, it should be centered around the bigger picture, the bigger idea, and that you should be able to not, the thing you should hold on and lock into is that feeling. Don't lock into how you, you know, move in your business, your brand positioning, like how you show up, be locked into the feeling that's provided so that you can be flexible in how you display that. Uh. This has been super fun, Miranda, um, and I think that's a great way to kind of finish our conversation for the time being, because I have a feeling that we might have to do at least another episode at some point. But I'm here for it. I, well, I, I truly appreciate that. Can you just let our listeners know, remind them uh, where they can find you online, website, social media, all the good things? Sure. So my website is MirandaJoiner.com. So let me help you with that spelling because your iPhone is going to totally disrespect my name. <laughs> so it's <laughs> totally. So it's M-A-R-A-N-D-A-J-O-I-N-E-R.com. Yeah. My Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, my LinkedIn is all the very same. How simple that is, right? So it's Miranda Joiner on all platforms. M-A-R-A-N-D-A. J-O-I-N-E-R. Please follow me, inbox me. If you heard me on this podcast, let me know so I'll know how you got to me. Jump in my DMs. I definitely talk back. I would love to connect to all of you guys listening if you were inspired. So, Well, and, and I mean, this is, you've just been wonderful on, on many levels. I, I would be just 
so excited to be able to send our listeners to you if they are looking for help with their brand, whether it's creating a new brand or refining their existing brand. Is the best way to, to contact you just to send you a DM or should they use that contact form at the bottom of the page if they want to set up a consultation? Absolutely. If you want to, so if you want to just talk to me, then absolutely jump into my DM. That was that invitation. But if you want to work with me on my website, there is a space on there where you can do a free discovery call. If you'd like to have a chat with me about what that's like, I do do discovery calls. But if you're ready to work, you can also uh, connect with me on my website and just click and ready to go. Also on my Instagram, there's a link. Um, my link is at the top in my bio. You can click that and do the same there, whether it's just ready to go to work want to set up that call or uh, you know any of that you can find all that there brilliant okay we're going to put all this in the show notes and for those of you listening in bocapodcast.com there were a lot of talking points today some resources Haley who produces the show she's going to link to all that in the show notes for this episode at bocapodcast.com make sure you take advantage Uh, thanks once again Miranda this has been super fun I've loved every minute of it thank you for having me Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.